All profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Hi, welcome to Cars and Comrades, your socialist car podcast. My name is Bryant, and today Zach couldn't make it, but we've got Connor and Brandon here today. How are you all feeling? Doing good. Yeah, good, man. I've had a good week. Cool. So we had a little bit of a recording uh, issue, so hopefully this one works. <laughs> today we're talking about uh, Sears, the department store chain, and the, sort of their rise and fall. Mostly the fall, as assisted by the previous CEO, Eddie Lampert, and his, what would you call, libertarian, objectivist approach to management. Objectivism, the most yeah. misleadingly named. <laughs> I know. I was just about to say, I object to the name objectivism, 100%. And God, so much to say there, but... <laughs> so it's it's a little bit tangentially related to cars. There is a connection there we'll get to, but uh, it, it's more just clowning on libertarians and, and dunking on the, the dumbass free market model that they were using. Yeah, I sort of insisted we did this one this week after Bryant showed me a couple of news stories where it was discussing exactly like the business model that they were trying to use to succeed, and it was comically stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, when, when, when you're so dumb that you think that like, a large business is too much like communism you, you, you know you, you which, get what you what you deserve which is coming back by the way like that's a that's a thing that like i've heard mo- many conservatives including conservative lawmakers are saying now they're like oh the corporations are marxist and i'm like all right if y'all are going to destroy these this system because it's too communist like i'm curious <laughs> your way's not going to work so I, I don't know go ahead and burn it all down like they're so stupid um, they're claiming, you know, Disney is a Marxist corporation and everything. And it's just like, okay, cool. They, they don't know what any of this means. So uh, it's very funny. Well, to, but to, to me, the funny thing is that they are, and this isn't wild or anything, but they're conflating a planned economy with communism, a thing that which is, is historically more connected than the free market or, and communism, obviously. But they're not inherently connected. Yeah. There are elements yeah. of planned economies in corporations right now because sometimes it just works planning makes sense (laughs) like i don't i don't have a free market approach to uh my life generally (laughs) i mean sometimes i do (laughs) if i start drinking maybe um but (laughs) like i've i've heard and read about like theoretical uh, supply and demand economies under communism because yeah like it does make sense like it's it's slightly different than i don't know it's it's not something i'm so well read in that i can you know posit any real like serious idea on how it works but it's just to say that like the communism and a planned economy are not one and the same yeah yeah definitely uh there have been economies that were centrally planned that were let's say more like fascist like imperial japan or what have you i i know we've just recorded last week but uh should we do some project car updates even though we we haven't been doing too much i mean i've been getting stuff done so i'm down Maybe I'm just speaking for myself that I haven't been getting too much done. Brandon, you want to tell us what you've been doing? 
Uh, sure. I I can't remember exactly where I was when I left off last week, but my Chevy van, my Ford van, and my Cutlass are all running right now. I took the Cutlass for its first drive in over a year yesterday. And honestly, as a reminder, uh, there wasn't really anything that wrong with the Cutlass. It just pissed me off one too many times, and I walked away from it for a good long while. But uh, it did have a flat tire. I shredded it the last time I went out. That was like the weird straw that broke the camel's back on top of like a handful of electrical issues. So I put new rear tires on it and took it for a ride, learned that my tires are entirely too big, and with the weight of two people sitting in the car, they rub pretty much at all times that you're driving. So I just took it out around the block just to get the chance to you know drive it since I never really get to. I did one quick burnout, and then I pulled it back into my parking space, and uh, I, I've been trying to figure out what I'm going to do to either make the fenders accommodate the tires or maybe get smaller tires or whatever and i was thinking about putting lift blocks under the springs but i really think that the answer is just <laughs> like i told you guys off off recording i'm running 275 60 15s yeah and it's just a lot of fucking tire that's huge um, yeah so i think i'm gonna I, I think 255 60 15s could fit i'm gonna look to see if maybe there's something with like the same height but a narrower profile i don't i don't really know tire sizes that well and well it's weird because tire sizes are just kind of strange because it's like they've got you know the width is in millimeters and then the profile is like a percentage of that or it's like (laughs) and i'm like okay what the fuck man like you can't you can kind of try and plan it out in your head but like when you see a tire size i'm like i picture it in your head but it's a moving target literally and so it's i don't know yeah it's i wish they wouldn't do that how about here's a bright idea i go oh man capitalism sucks and i'm all for good standards that make sense how about a fucking measurement on the side this is 60 millimeters or 20 millimeters or just like the width why the fuck would you mix the okay anyway i'm getting off off topic here but yeah yeah and then the the rim sizes in inches also which (laughs) doesn't make things which i mean that's makes sense anymore uh, yeah i mean but at least come on why is the one a percentage of the other so fucking stupid yeah just anyway sorry i'm also just bad at visualizing what millimeters are you know what i mean yeah well that's a failing of america yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I'm good at. I'm kind of good at visualizing millimeters, just because uh, I know 25 is about an inch, and 100 is uh, about you know four inches, which is what the uh, size of cigarette I used to smoke was. So <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's one cigarette, <laughs> which I've quit now, obviously. But uh, it's just very funny that I can still like I'll picture like a cigarette. Like okay, if I'm looking at like throttle bodies, I'll be like. Oh, 70 millimeters. Okay, so a cigarette is this much, and then take a little bit off. (laughs) (laughs) Americans will literally use anything but the metric system. (laughs) How many cigarettes is that? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm coming at it because like I was a machinist for a while and we did mostly like sta- like rec- like standard like inch and whatever measurements. But uh, every now and then we would get drawings in metric, and our engineers were nice enough to assume the worst about us and they would put put both measurements <laughs> on because they they were like we don't trust you guys to translate this yourselves, which was great because yeah. then it was their fault if the if it was wrong. But uh, so now I'm like. I can be decently good at ballparking small measurements under three or four inches. A meter blows my mind, and I don't know what the fuck a kilometer is. Yeah. See, I think we need to do metric inches for everything. So, like, <laughs> milli-inches and kilo-inches and... 
I think I think I America needs work, a cultural but... revolution in terms of the metric system. It's just it's got to be beat down our throats. <laughs> it's like I don't know. Right. America needs a cultural revolution in a lot of senses. <laughs> Might as well do the the French revolutionary calendar while we're at it. To, <laughs> you know, have ten hours in a day and what is it like a hundred in a month or something like that? I don't know. God, I can't remember. One time I was making a joke about how we should switch over to metric time and do the ten hour day, and somebody was like, you know, some people do that, and I'm like, ah, you're stupid. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. P- point on a map where people are are, are living the ten hour day, and every one hundred minutes an hour, and a minute is actually like a hundred seconds. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's like two people, two weird cranks that have a website or something. I've 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 had the un fortunate luck of encountering a number of flat earthers in my life and i feel like i was probably just something like that where they were yeah. just so deeply rooted in st- stupidity that there was no <laughs> having a coherent argument or conversation with them anyway what were we talking about your car or oh, something uh just <laughs> uh I, my, basically my options are to put lifter blocks under my uh springs in the back which i don't want to do because if I put two inch lift blocks, it's going to like really stance the car and could look cool. Like I don't hate the idea of how it would look, but it's still only going to give me about two and a half inches of tire clearance where if I get tires that are, you know, half to three quarters of an inch narrower, at least on uh, per side, at least then I would have like the full fender worth of, of travel in the car. So I could actually hit a bump without rubbing my tires instead of just uh, never with with a spacer, it will rub sometimes. With narrower tires, I would have to hit a bump so bad that it would destroy the car before my tire is actually going to hit the inside of the fender. Yeah, so it seems I think like the solution gonna, yeah. is just tires that fit the car. Kind of like my, kind of like me. That's what I need. <laughs> ah, but God, maybe I'll make Connor post pictures of it. But God, the the tires that are on there, they're such like. If driving it weren't a factor, they would be such a perfect fit. They look so good. But they just don't work, you know. Gotta gotta yeah, be material. Look cool though. Gotta be materialist in this analysis. Like, yeah. If it, <laughs> and if I feel it like looks it's, good, and- it's worth mentioning um, that you did try and roll the inner fender a little bit to like so, and it still didn't work. So like, if any listeners like, just roll the fender. Yeah, already tried it, didn't work. I feel like that's got to be yeah. mentioned. Yeah. I try. Uh, it didn't want. There is. Sorry. Go ahead. It didn't want to roll, and I did have to get pretty aggressive with it, and I used a crescent wrench to like pry it and i straight up just kept smacking it with a hammer and i got it folded over pretty good and i still did not buy myself enough room to Uh, honestly if i could find like much stiffer rear springs i would go with the lift block i would do a two inch lift and a stiffer spring i think that would get me where i needed to be but i really don't find a lot of springs that are are calibrated that way it's mostly just it fits a 60s a body or it doesn't yeah, I don't find more. I don't. I haven't noticed, and I haven't looked super hard. This was, I drove it yesterday and realized that it didn't work. But uh, yeah, I haven't found any place advertising their springs for sale based by spring rate. So I mean, you know, a new set of tires that's a few hundred bucks that I don't want to spend. But you know, it's part of the game. So whatever. Uh, now there is another option that we talked off recording about. You said there's like a six inch lift. <laughs> <laughs> the other option, which. That would be an incredible amount of stance, so I would have to go whole hog at once, and that is uh, putting my cutlass on a donk, which 
Yeah. Honestly, the main reason I don't want to do that is because, classically speaking, a donk is a mid-70s Impala. And I'm right. weirdly a purist about that. Like, I'm cool with G-body donks, but a, like the early A-body, I just, I don't know if I can be... Now, that being said, like, this would look better than, like, the 67 and 68 are different enough body styles that I think my 67 could look okay, and a 68 would look terrible. Hmm. So, so I'm not completely, because the 68 is more the muscle car look. It's got the fastback sort of styling to it, where mine has uh, the slightly boxier look to it. Okay, that's fair. I don't know. I'm not going to do that, because I think to do the front and back at once is, like, twelve fifteen hundred dollars something like that i'm kind of broke right now so i'm like over here like oh god i don't want to spend four hundred dollars on a new pair of tires and the other reason that that hurts is because i have finally decided to buy a wideband o2 sensor for my chevy van so that i can start fine-tuning the carburetor because apparently i'm willing to put in everything that you need for fuel injection but not fuel injection <laughs> i was about to say i was like wait what do you mean o2 sensor what <laughs> uh, if you put an O2 sensor in, it will tell you when in the RPM range and everything that the carb is going lean or fat, and it allows you to tune the different circuits appropriately instead of just, most people just plop on a carburetor and say, it runs, but, you know, maybe at idle it's running rich, and then you stomp on the gas and the, the intermediary circuit leans out. So you're talking about basically being able to be an old Chevy van with a laptop in the passenger seat. No. <laughs> it, it's literally just a gauge that tells you your air fuel ratio. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, you're not the first person I've heard talking about doing this. No, um it's, it's everybody that I have found that is like, going to talk to you about like really tuning a carburetor well says that's step 1. So I'm just going to do it. They're under 200 bucks. Yeah. You weld a little bung into the exhaust and like some people will get really crazy and do it per cylinder. That is That's crazy. crazy. Less crazy people less crazy people will do the left bank and the right bank, and I'm just gonna do but all all of them in one sensor. Which isn't to say you would have like eight or even two gauges. You would just to just tune it, sides. you would keep switching it. Um, yeah. but I, I'm just gonna do one. I'm not like overly concerned about it. That's I will cool, Yeah, I mean I'll run a lean idle circuit because you don't need a lot of fucking fuel to keep it running as to where like you know if you're running at five or six thousand rpms you really desperately don't want it to lean out there uh yeah that's what helps you find that intersection between power and efficiency up to a certain point efficiency is is power like it's just it's it's both like more horsepower and more fuel economy it's it's a win-win yeah if you're running super rich you're not going to be making good power yeah generally speaking so yeah that's that's what i've been up to uh everything's running and theoretically drivable and hopefully by the next time i'm on a a call everything will be drivable drivable fucking sweet yeah so no ultima then (laughs) (laughs) i was telling uh i was trying to explain ultima energy to my girlfriend and uh she was like all right i don't really get it whatever (laughs) and two days later we're in traffic and I'm like, do you smell that? And she's just like, yeah, look. Uh, and it was a dude in an Altima with the bumper, like, bungee strapped onto the car, just dented to hell, like, beat up, and just window down smoking a blunt. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, and she's like, that's an Altima. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, yes, it is. That is. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I told her within two days she was f- fully understood. 
<laughs> uh, now I almost wanted like uh, there's just like in ten years there's gonna be ultimate builds where people like fuck up the bumper like strap the hood down with bungee like it's gonna be like oh, I'm doing an ultimate build yeah it's gonna <laughs> oh like those uh, Volkswagen guys that put the rust on the yeah. heads on purpose that's not just <laughs> exactly that is not just Volkswagen people made it like patina is a real thing that has cursed the car world <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing a, you know, period correct 2010 Ultima build. I broke one of the headlights. I put clear tape over it, which I literally did. So I can't talk. Yeah. I can't wait till there's YouTube tutorials on how to make like the caved in bumper look like it happened naturally. Uh, How um, how did you make the rear passenger door look like you angered your ex-girlfriend and she smashed it in with a crowbar? Like, well, I I angered my ex-girlfriend and she smashed it in with a crowbar. It'll open up a whole new market for, uh, you know, dented junkyard parts, actually. The the panels they can't usually sell, they could sell the, oh, hey, if you're doing one of these builds. What have you been working on, Connor? No, wait, I think it's, uh, Brian, did you go already? No. I haven't been working on my car, um, but I do have a little bit of a rant. And stop me if I've said this one on air already. I forget if I did. I forget everything I say on air. As soon as I say it, it's gone out of my brain. I'm like, fuck, I don't know what I talked about (laughs) last week. No idea. (laughs) Yeah, so apologies to the listener if this makes it in the final version. Do you all ever see cars driving with just their daytime running lights on and their, like, taillights are dark? Yes. Yeah. Because I see this all the time. I, I looked into it, and I guess there's some models of car, I think, like, Mazda does this now, where they have automatic daytime running lights that just come on when you start the car. So people will think they have their headlights on, and they won't, the, the rear lights don't light up at all for whatever so reason. So that's why those <laughs> taillights are dark. I was wondering, I'm just like, what the hell's going on? I should piece together that, yeah, it's probably daytime running lights, but... Yeah. yeah. Th- I, but, I, I mean, it's, it's really dangerous. Yeah. Like, I... I don't know. I, I see, like, I've almost ran into people before, and, and then I'm, like, flashing my high beams at them. Like, what the fuck are you doing driving with no headlights on? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, it is, it is dangerous, because, like, it is hard to see. If, if it's at night and you can't see someone's taillights, not great. Um, yeah. Yeah, daytime running lights seem like just a weird, um, which I think it's actually required in Canada. Yeah. I, yeah, so that's a weird thing, but it's, like, for what? Because it might be cloudy or rainy some days? Uh, if it's light enough out, it I don't know. if it, Yeah, you should have your headlights on, but I don't think it matters that much to have daytime runners. Um, and then, yeah, like yeah. you said, it creates this kind of dangerous situation if people forget to turn their headlights on. Because, like, it, if it's dark enough, if you don't have any light, it's to you know that your headlights are not on. Like, right. you, can't, you can't be, like, driving on a pitch black road at the middle of the night and, like, huh, I can't see anything out the window. <laughs> Nobody does that, you know? But if you have daytime running lights, you might drive with, like, less light than you should. Yeah, because, like, modern daytime running lights are almost as bright as, like, old sealed beam headlights from the 90s or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I can yeah. almost guarantee you they're brighter than old sealed beam headlights from the 70s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's one thing I like about Subarus is that they just, uh, you can leave the headlight switch on and it'll just turn off when you turn the ignition off so yeah i just drive with my headlights on all the time basically yeah so you can't make that mistake where it drains your your fucking battery right and you search car yeah so when that's... in my mr2 the headlights pop up when they're turned on so it's pretty easy to tell when they're on 
Yeah. But God, I know there's a joke in there somewhere, and I don't know what it says about me that it's not coming to me, but it pops up when it's turned on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do also think they should bring pop-up headlights back. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, unpopular opinion then. Fuck it. I think I think pop-ups should come back on an electric vehicle too. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. Just everyone I know has problems yeah. with them. Yeah, they're they're awful to like. I've never had a car with them, so I, I, I'm in that I'm in the position where I just like they think they look cool-ish. Not even like just straight cool, just cool-ish. Um, and I've never had to deal with them. But oh, what I, if I, we yeah. had? public transit just at all speed rail with pop-up headlights that would be cool actually <laughs> i would love to see one of those bullet trains it's just like the most out of place ass fucking like <laughs> it probably you know cuts the fucking efficiency down by like several percent yeah it just flies <laughs> off the track because it creates so much turbulence in the air <laughs> but yeah that's all i've got for this week we'll see what happens uh next time we record all right well then uh, i guess that's me i'm in a position to uh, right now, I, I haven't done anything per se since we last recorded, um, and I had you know some issues with installing a seat and whatnot. But I've decided I'm going to do. Um, I'm making like the classic mistake that I think is going to work this time, but uh, I'm doing a bunch of different projects next weekend. Just like a bunch of shit, though. Some of them are small, some of them are big, and I'm going to fucking take a bunch of stuff apart and then hope it all goes together correctly. And in anticipation of this, I was like, you know what? I wasn't going to take a day off, but I should probably take a day off just in case things don't go according to plan. Plus, I have a, I have a bunch of time off that I have to use because I hate leaving a job and then just getting like a paycheck instead of and then just not ever taking any days off. That sucks. That's probably what's going to happen anyway to some extent, but I do have a lot of days to use. One of them is going to go to backing me up when uh, things probably don't go according to plan. But <clears throat> one of the things that uh, you know did happen um, yesterday at AutoZone, our discount, which is normally pretty shitty, it's just 20%, which fucking blows um, as a employee discount. But for whatever reason this weekend or this whole week actually they're like oh you get 30 percent off and i was like okay i'm gonna buy i'm gonna stock up on a bunch of shit so we'll just say i saved uh, a, a good chunk above a hundred dollars uh doing that i spent uh, a good amount of money <laughs> but it was stuff that i was gonna need at some point anyway i was like all right i've just gotta get it uh but anyway so next weekend the plan is um i don't even know everything but just little ticky tack stuff and some bigger stuff i'm gonna take um all of my coilovers off uh, the car, and I am going to soak them in vinegar, in buckets. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, you can't hear it because it's an audio format, but everybody just turned their heads like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, all of my coils are seized, um, and I just have not been able to uh, adjust them at all. So um, I looked into how can you unseize these, and there's a few different tricks out there. Soaking them in, you know, a PB Blaster or WD-40 is one of them, which doesn't really seem to work that well in practice, and also... I did that and it didn't work. Um, I didn't take them off. I just sprayed it on there. So that didn't work. The other thing people do is put them, soak them in Coca-Cola. That's a, that's an especially weird one, but uh, apparently that one works pretty well. It's just, I'm going to go with the vinegar. That seems that it works better um, of all the methods that people chose. So I'm going to take them off and I'm going to soak them in buckets of vinegar, which hopefully will help eat away some of the rust and unseize the cal the calipers the um the threads so that i can adjust the height because i think i'm going to raise the height um in in the front and rear probably a little bit more in the rear 
Um, cause like right now it's just like, I hit a bump and it sounds fucking awful. Like they, I have no suspension travel and the springs are really tight. So I think I might adjust the preload too, but I'm, I'm a little, I'm not super sold on that yet. So I think I'm just going to try and change the height and lower the damping a little bit. Cause like if I lower the damping one notch right now, one or two notches, it's enough for me to bottom out like while driving on the street, like I'll hit a bump and then my diff will fucking smack the ground. And I don't love that. So that's too much. And I feel like I'm not even low enough to have that issue, but uh, I do. So I'm going to try and raise it up a half inch or something and see if that helps, which should make the car just drive better overall and then you know after that we'll see about possibly adjusting preload if i if i feel i need to uh make the spring a little less stiff or whatever i just i don't know what it's set at now so you know that's a that's a whole adjustment thing so when i do that i'm going to take those apart soak them overnight and uh, i'm going to you know change my pads and rotors uh, i'm going to rebuild the drum brakes as well i got all the hardware for it um, I'm just going to change all that stuff. I pr probably don't need to because it works. I don't know. It's one of those like, all right, well, you know, $12.99 or whatever. I'll just fucking, you know, change out all those springs. I want that shit to work because, you know, I, I yanked that, you know, parking brake pretty hard to uh, get sideways. So um, I would like for that to continue working. Now, while I'm also making that work better, I think I might also, and, we'll, and this remains to be seen, but I might install a new hydraulic handbrake. So I'm going to buy one that mounts in a different place and we'll see how far I get. And if it basically comes down to if I want to open up the brake lines or not, um, like if I want to bleed, you know, I'll do it. Although I'm going to be using one of those one person brake bleeder kits that I've never used before. So I'm just not sure how well those work. They don't. Um, they're terrible. They don't. I hate them. <laughs> hmm. I wonder if I should suck it up and just like buy a vacuum bleeder then. You should make um, a friend. <laughs> I should. I should get a friend to come over and help me, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So it's damn. I was hoping that would work, but this is why I was like, eh, I don't know. I better I better have some contingency plans. So anyway, we'll see if I actually open the lines up or not. But if I do, I'll probably change the brake line to the caliper as well. Um, the like the brake hoses with stainless steel ones. Um, it's just it's a bunch of shit that I'm like I don't know how much I want to do necessarily next weekend. And then there's some other stuff you know change a belt, change you know uh, clean my air filter, all that stuff. Um, so oil change, diff fluid change, and probably some other stuff I'm forgetting. But I'm gonna do just a bunch of little shit, and I'm gonna hope that um, the car goes back together the right way and not get fucked up. But you know, uh, a couple of things. I had decent success bleeding brakes with just like a siphon bottle sort of thing where you have a tube that goes down to the bottom of like a, you know, a plastic soda bottle or whatever. And then you mm -hmm. have a vent in the top so that you and then you put a, a little bit of brake fluid in the bottom. So it just covers up yeah. the opening of the tube. So you, you basically you just the air can bubble out, but it won't. Uh, suck in air yeah. it won't suck in air it'll suck in uh you know fluid and that works pretty good but yeah i mean if you can if you can get someone to help you you know pump the pedal or whatever that that's 10 times easier yeah i mean part of my thinking on it was i was kind of just like i want to be able to do this by myself if i need to um it's like yeah i always have the option of like okay you know call one of my friends over although a lot of my friends live not as close as you know they used to like um because i moved further away and i'm just like uh you know that's I don't want to make someone drive if I can avoid it and maybe I can get my uh, partner to help me, but uh, she might be busy and I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be like, Hey, you want to help me bleed this shit for an hour? Because once you put in a hydro and stuff like you, you have to, 
you have to bleed it kind of a lot. So I'm not like, I, I would like to be able to do it myself if it's an option, but yeah, you know, like I said, maybe I should get a vacuum bleeder and do it that way. I, I don't know, but I want the ability to do it myself. Um, but that may be kind of a pipe dream. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's just like, it's a bunch of that stuff. I'm going to install a new catch can and stuff because I caught on to the fact that like, there's a lot of oil going into my intake through the little valve I use to uh, pass emissions test. It's just the line running from the PCV to the uh, intake. Uh, and then once I started fucking with the vacuum tees, I was like, oh, there's a lot of oil on these tees. Like, yeah, there's a lot of oil going through here. So um, I am going to install a catch can as well, um, which hopefully will catch a bunch of sh oil from going in um, and all that. So we'll see what happens. And then I may or may not put in the seat I'm feeling up to it um, and then I may also uh, put in a new rear sway bar um, that I bought from someone at work for a hundred dollars so I was like yeah sweet <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a good performance one the z1 sway bar which can be considerably stiffer than the stock uh, sway bar so I was like you know what I can't pass that up I'm gonna grab that shit so Anyway, there's like just a whole bunch of stuff I'm gonna try and work on how much of it actually gets done is you know, we'll see. I might not be as productive as I think, um, but I have big plans. We'll see how much of it actually happens. You, yeah. But you're talking about your seized up coils. Actually, reminded me, I left a big uh, thing out that I experienced this week, uh, which is that on one of my wheels that I was changing out, all five lug nuts were seized up. Oh, nice. And like, like stripped out or no? Actually, like I found or... a video that explained it really interesting because it was like a the normal like conical seat style of lug apparently that it's not the threads that get seized up it's the seat gets seized up to the wheel oh um, like it friction welds on there or something uh, not quite a weld i found that video fortunately after i had only broken one wheel stud off so Ooh. <laughs> yeah i mean that's annoying what's the way what's the way you get over that hit it with a hammer apparently yeah, that makes sense. Because it, it breaks the rim yeah. free of the lug. Yeah. yeah I, I don't want to say that they came off easily after I did that, but I just put a 2x4 up against the rim and just wailed on it with a hammer for a few minutes, and they all came free shortly after that. I had already put a torch and PB blaster to them, too, because that's, like, my formula for always freeing up a seized nut or bolt. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. after I did that, they came free. Yeah. Sweet. It's basically like a taper-fit tool, like a machine tool or something right. at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know if this actually works. I haven't tried it myself, but someone was talking about how the best, like they tested a bunch of different penetrating oil and stuff. And the best they found for like freeing up bolts was um, a mixture of automatic transmission fluid and acetone. And it's supposed to like be fluid enough that it gets into all the threads and the detergent in the ATF will like clean out the rust and gunk in there. There is no Listen. fucking way I'm doing that. <laughs> why um because the way that i use works really well but it does involve heating things up with a propane torch uh -huh. and then hitting it with pb mm. blaster again so unless yeah. it works so well that on the first try it works yeah my, my method works well but it, i do not want to breathe in acetone fumes or atf fumes I, I don't really like breathing breathing in pb blaster fumes but i feel like it's better than those two things Right. Yeah. And the one thing that I've tried that works pretty well is um, heat up the bolt and put a candle wax on the threads. Okay. Uh, and it kind of wicks into the threads. I don't know. It doesn't always work. The only thing I've ever not been able to get free using heat and PB blaster was so seized up that I actually welded something to it so that I had all the leverage that I need without the ability to, to 
strip it out, and it sheared in half. Oh. So everything else, PB Blaster and Heat, has gotten free for me, so I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, that's fair. So, Bryant, you were wanting to uh, tell us a little bit about Steers, yeah? Yeah, so uh, if you, let's say, grew up in the 90s like I did and went to the mall a lot, you probably saw a Sears store there, and maybe now you're wondering why you don't anymore. And a lot of that has to do with uh, one guy named Eddie Lampert, and we're going to tell that story, but I think first we want to give a little background history on maybe the, the first 100 years of Sears Company. Yeah, let's, let's like uh, do at least a little to try and uh, explain how this is related to cars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like I said, there is a connection to cars. Uh, Honestly, even if they didn't sell cars ever, which we'll get to, you could buy b- batteries and tools. And like for a long time, Craftsman was considered like a really good. You might not be working at a pro garage, but people had Craftsman tools in their garage and they were reliable. And didn't that shit have like a lifetime warranty and all too? Yeah. yeah. So it was the so it was the lifetime warranty that like Sears was kind of known for. Like you break any Craftsman part, any tool or whatever. You'd bring it to, you know, Sears, and they'd fucking replace it. Ba- I mean, that, it's kind of old school, but, like, that was back in the day that everybody had Craftsman tools, and they'd be like, well, I don't give a fuck if Snap-on's better. I go to fucking, I go to Sears, and I get a new one when this one breaks. What's yeah. the problem? So, yeah, a lot of people took advantage of that warranty, and so kind of a staple of a lot of people's garages. So what happens to Sears is it tracks. It's a bit of a reach, but it's related to cars. Yeah, definitely. And it's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get started then. Sears Roebuck and Company was founded in 1892 by Richard Warren Sears and Alva Curtis Roebuck. They started off as a mail order catalog that primarily sold watches and jewelry, but then over the years began diversifying their product lines. So they would send out these catalogs and, you know, you could order whatever merchandise. And this was kind of a revolutionary thing because prior to this, if you especially like if you lived out in the country and you were a farmer uh you had like a general store in town that you would go to with not a whole lot of selection and also like you know what you could buy depended on your your creditworthiness like how much the store store owner trusted you to to actually pay it a heavily vibes based economy <laughs> yeah so uh, wait a minute how is sears how is sears different than that i mean if people weren't buying on credit i assume or were they i don't know so um so so a lot of times at the general store the price that you paid was depending on how much how trustworthy you were oh so that's where the vibes come in oh yeah yeah. that's fucking crazy um almost certainly racist and sexist oh definitely everything yeah Yeah. oh wow jesus so very cool a lot of people like especially Uh, black people in the Jim Crow South liked the Sears catalog because they had fixed prices. You could just order whatever you wanted. You didn't have to deal with a shopkeeper and you could just pick it up at the railroad depot in town rather than uh, go through a store or anything. So two years after their founding, 1894, the Sears catalog had grown to 322 pages and they sold items. That is huge. (laughs) That's a phone book. (laughs) Jesus. Wow. All right. Uh, they sold items as diverse that's, as... That's uh, like an Anne Rand short story. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, they sold items as diverse as sewing machines, bicycles, sporting goods, and automobiles. From 1905 to 1915, they contracted with the uh, Lincoln Motor Car Works of Chicago, which is not the Lincoln car company that you're thinking of that's owned by ford this is a totally different little car company that came and went pretty quickly yeah um, there was a bunch of those before before the emergence of like the big three 
there was just a bunch of like Joe's car shack yeah. and they like <laughs> Joe makes fucking cars and you're like how do you do that I don't know no idea but yeah yeah <laughs> I mean back in that day like a lot of you could buy like an engine or an axle or whatever and then the guy that used to be making like horse carts could just put all that shit together into a car with like a wooden frame and wooden wheels and all that <laughs> shit and hey it's a car you know yeah <laughs> and that's basically what this was it was you know the big spindly looking wheels the engine that went kind of chunk 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 you know as you went <laughs> along <laughs> um they sold for between like four and five hundred dollars depending on the the model that you got so that's that seems like a lot but i don't know i mean can somebody pull up the well i don't know if the inflation calculator would even really tell us that much for this kind of a uh, year range but I figured cars back then, I'm like, oh, what do they cost, $16? I don't know. I mean, you could buy a house for four, right? I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have, like, just no frame of reference, but four or 500 seems like a, an, uh, an incredible amount of money. Yeah. In... Actually, I just looked it up. The, I was wrong. It's between 325 and 475 That's, you what, you said four or $500? You're, you're right Yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, and the uh, top of the line was four night uh, was five hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, outrageous. <laughs> yeah. You, well, you were correct at least. So let me just look at inflation calculator. We're going straight from the U.S. Uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics website here. So, um, let's say five hundred dollars. Well, the low the lowest number it'll go is nineteen thirteen for the year. So. We'll take it. <laughs> that's about uh, fifteen thousand dollars today. So that is a cheap car. Damn, they got everything fucking cheaper then, man. What yeah. the fuck? And this Damn, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man, I thought these were like just full on luxury goods at this point. That no. seems almost attainable. Well then again, I don't know, everything's skewed. Yeah. Well and um you know, throughout its history, uh Sears has kind of marketed itself as the, the budget brand, you know, for working class people. And that this was kind of part of that. They were you know, this is a cheap car that you can mail order. They probably put it in a crate and you had to assemble it yourself a little bit, you know. The IKEA of cars. <laughs> no, this seems really cool actually, and I had no idea that Sears ever sold cars. Not yeah. a clue. I, I knew that they had made like motorcycles, like mini bikes and you know, yeah. like wheeled vehicles. Cars was news to me. So ne the next year in eighteen ninety five, the catalog grew to five hundred and thirty two pages. That is entirely too many pages. <laughs> That is entirely too many. <laughs> were they? What were they selling even at that point? What do we need five hundred fucking pages for? Uh, you could buy baby dolls, like toys, stoves, dry goods, groceries. You could buy an entire house in a kit that you put together. So like you got okay, a whole bunch. Also crazy. You got a whole bunch of crates with like two by fours that are cut to length and have numbers on them, and you put it together as a kit. Like a model house. Exactly. Oh my god, this is amazing. I man, that is wild. I think that was a little bit later. That was like in the like twenties and thirties mostly. But I wanna say Holy one of my great shit. aunts has a Sears house. So like if you have What happens if you fuck up one of those parts? Yeah, so from nineteen oh nineteen oh eight to nineteen forty, you could buy a, a Sears catalog home kit house. Alright, I hate to derail us further. How much was the house? Uh, it varied. I don't have that in my notes, but um, I could look it up. $659 for the minimum. Okay. So, 
uh, about sixteen or seventeen thousand dollars in today's money. Damn. All so right. that's all the materials, and you have to put it together yourself from plans. Still, that's pretty. Um, that's pretty cool, actually. This is uh, genuinely kind of cool. Yeah. So like, there's several neighborhoods that are just Sears houses, or that have a lot of Sears houses in them that exist. If you see a house that was built between 1908 and 1940, there's a good chance it might be a Sears house. They only made like. I think maybe 20 different plans or something for them. Well, some of them are fucking mansions, practically. What the fuck? (laughs) This is crazy. They made mansions. I don't know how many of those they sold, but... Were these basically like the first McMansions? Yes, (laughs) apparently. They literally... This was the McMansion. I wonder if that was like the the Halo car version of a house. Like This one's called the Castleton, and it's it was about $2,000 back then. Yeah. Huh, that's fucking nuts. <laughs> this is crazy. I'm sorry. This is just wild to me. So Sears went from making cars and houses to Ayn Rand shit, and now they're they're uh, circling the drain. So right. I don't know what that says, but... <laughs> so around this time in the late 1800s, uh, they were making around... $750,000 a year, which is about $20 million today. They were a growing company. The Sears catalog was known as the Consumer's Bible. It was also like an international thing, like people in the Philippines and Greenland and all other different countries would order from it. There were people in Greenland at that point? Oh, yeah. No, there's native people Oh, yeah, there. I guess. I'm just... <laughs> it's real cold there. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, not a lot, but yeah, there's people that live there. Indigenous I'm sorry. People. I'm just real ignorant. Uh, <laughs> Um, so also what people would use it for when they're done ordering what they needed, uh, they'd use it as toilet paper. They started coming, uh, already with a hole drilled through the catalog so you could hang it from a nail in your outhouse and then just tear off a page as you needed. Wow. That's just, that is, um, an incredible self-awareness that is crazy to me, but also they're poor assholes. Holy shit. That, that could not have... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was not a great time to live. No. Uh, for a lot of reasons. But I think if Jesus. you're shitting at an outhouse, you're not having a good time no matter what. <laughs> I, I mean, if it's all you know. Yeah. So in 1906, they started construction on the Sears Merchandise Building Tower in Chicago's West Side. This ultimately became a 40-acre uh, complex of offices, laboratories uh and the mail order operations uh so i don't know if you know this location connor at uh homan avenue and arthington street um Mm, no mostly because i'm like a plug it into the gps (laughs) okay (laughs) you know and then the the gps screams at me to tell me where to go but um that's in in the city limits chicago or yeah uh north lawndale i think is the neighborhood oh okay okay yeah all right i do know where that is 40 acres yeah Jesus. All right. I guess if you've got the space, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, most of it isn't there anymore. They have a, a tower that's the, the same you know building that survived. This was their headquarters until 1973 when the Sears Tower was completed. Uh, and that was their headquarters until uh, 1995. So, Which it was still called the Sears Tower after that yeah. for a while. And then now it's called the Willis Tower. Right. I don't even know what the fuck Willis is. I don't know nothing about it's it. It's like but... some real estate company or something. Oh, Jesus, of course it is. I mean, it's sh- it's shitty anyway, but man, their CEO who got into this libertarian nonsense <laughs> really fucked up. Because, yeah. like, everybody knew Sears because they're like, oh, yeah, the Sears Tower. Um, and now it's just like, oh, nope, not anymore. He got too into right-wing ideology, and 
Look at what happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I, oh, would we get? Oh, the extent to which he got into it too. It is just. <laughs> I'll I'll do a couple more things before we get to to Eddie Lampert. But um, in 1925, they opened their first brick and mortar retail store at the North Lawndale complex. They started opening more department stores, mostly in uh, lower middle class and working class neighborhoods. So this was different than the norm. Uh, you know, normally at this time you had like a downtown shopping district, and that's where all the shops were. Um, but you know. It, they were a little bit more upscale generally um, yeah so this is like the where macy's and the marshall fields and stuff were like in the in the like chicago loop area whereas this is more geared towards working class people yeah and more in the suburbs they also were some of the first stores to have uh, off-street parking lots so they were catering towards motorists mostly people driving in from you know across town or whatever in 1933 they had the first christmas catalog known as the sears wish book and this was basically for the kids to like circle the the toys that they wanted you know that's kind of when that started in uh 1931 they created the Allstate insurance company and they would sell <laughs> insurance oh? through the stores sure okay i, I didn't not, know that okay yeah it's new um and then Allstate also became their their brand for a lot of automotive stuff including some motorized vehicles that we'll go into in a minute here some of their other brands are kenmore craftsman diehard batteries Silvertone, Supertone, and Toughskins. Toughskins um, was close. Hmm. Uh, I think it was jeans, but it might have been just clothes in general. So they sold a few different vehicles over the years through the catalog and through the stores. They sold Cushman scooters, branded as Sears, from 1948 to 1958. This is like an American sort of Vespa before Vespa. They sold Piaggio Vespa scooters from 1951 to 1966. Henry J. Cars, uh, which is a like a Kaiser, um, like what became AMC later on, from 1952 to 1953. Pook mopeds, uh, scooters and motorcycles from 1954 to 1969. And then Jalera or Galera motorcycles from 66 to 69. So they always, so they sold some like bikes and mopeds and shit. That's, uh, that's also very cool. Yeah. Yeah, they sold and a I bunch will- of that stuff. I won't go into the Allstate car too much. You could get it with either a flathead four-cylinder or a flathead six-cylinder Willis engine. So this was like... Henry J. Kaiser was the guy that started the Kaiser car company that eventually merged with a bunch of different companies, including Willis Jeep, to become AMC in the 60s or late 50s, I think. Uh, But this is a little bit before that all happened. So they just had a little bit different styling, badges, a little bit more options than the the standard Henry J. And they also used all um, all state branded like tires and spark plugs and stuff. All right, well, hold on. I'm not keeping up here. The all state car was like it's was it like just a rebadge something else? Yeah. That, like, but like, what was this other brand? Because I don't think I've heard of this other brand. So Kaiser Henry J Kaiser was a guy that started the Kaiser Car Company. Like also um, the Kaiser Health Insurance Company. What the hell is with these people in insurance <laughs> health insurance and cars? Like what? Man, they were just fucking making anything. Yeah, this is like the the uh, American Zaibatsu are... era. Yeah. Um, so that they they bought out the Jeep brand in I think the '40s and then uh, merged with fuck I don't know I'd have to look up that maybe one one day we'll do a whole history of AMC. Yeah, uh, formerly known as Kaiser Fraser, um, made cars from 1945 to 1953. 
Then they merged with Willie's Overland to form Willie's Motor Incorporated. Which was Jeep, right? Or became Jeep? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then and then they were bought out by AMC, which I forget. American Motor Company. You can tell it was doomed because it was American. <laughs> yeah. American Motors was a, uh, a merger of Nash, Hudson, and Kaiser. I did not know that. Yeah. Or at, it was Willie's Overland at that point. And I think I've said this before, but if you're ever in the Colorado Springs area, um, check out the Rambler Ranch. Uh, Rambler was another one of their brands. This guy has a car collection like out in the the woods north of Colorado Springs, and it's I think it's by appointment only, and you might need like a minimum minimum donation or a minimum number of people in your party to to go on a tour. But um, it's a it's a pretty cool collection. A tour was a so yeah so that lasted until you know that AMC merger and they stopped making that uh the Henry J car. So skipping ahead a little bit to the 70s this was when sears was at their peak with more than 3500 department stores and over 350,000 workers and then damn that's a lot yeah <laughs> that is a lot a lot jesus and then they after that they started to decline as um new competitors like walmart came in and uh, started taking some of their market share yeah they innovated by doing the same thing but for less money somehow and by bullying suppliers and stuff yeah pretty much yeah and by doing central planning ah see <laughs> so so, so communism they, they were marxist yeah. yeah they were marxist corporations that's what happened i probably said this before but the book the people's republic of walmart is worth a, a read if you want to learn more about like central planning and logistics and that kind of thing it's not super in-depth but it is pretty interesting but uh, we're going to talk about the opposite of that. So Eddie Lampert was born in 1962 and then graduated from Yale with a bachelor's degree in economics. He was also, oh, so you know, he's smart. Yeah, hey. he was also he was also a member of the Skull and Bone Society and was an intern at Goldman Sachs in the 80s. And then in 88, he left Goldman Sachs to start his own company, ESL Investments, named after his uh, initials. So he's very imaginative. In uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, which is, uh, from what I understand, a very rich town. In 2003, he was uh, kidnapped from the parking lot of his Greenwich office. But sadly, survived. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, (laughs) damn, if only, God. Uh, I read that, but I didn't see a reasoning. Do we know why he was kidnapped? Uh, I assume for ransom money. Okay, straightforward. Uh, he He was pretty wealthy at this point. So that was in 2003. And by 2004, he was a billionaire. Did the kidnappers get the money out of it? Like, I'm, I'm rooting for them. Did they at least get paid good? Or I, what happened there? I didn't. Know? I couldn't find much more about that, but I also didn't look into it. That means they got paid. No, that, <laughs> that means they got paid. If, if, if they didn't, you would hear all about it. Yeah. Nope, they got paid. 50-50 that they got paid or they were never heard from again. Yeah. You don't become a billionaire without having connections. Yeah, that's true. Around this time... In the 2000s, he was also the director of AutoNation and was a director of AutoZone from 99 to 2006. Oh, wait. Okay, again, another car connection. Yeah. Um, so he was he was in charge of AutoZone for... Okay, so he set up, like... Let me tell you, AutoZone is fucked. I hate <laughs> everything about it. Their system is fucking ancient and ridiculous. It is fucking crazy that they get by with this shit. So... In part, thanks to this fucking asshole. Yeah. Unbelievable. And anecdotally, like, I knew um, someone that worked at Sears around 2004, so before 
he was involved and they had basically like computer terminals that would connect to a mainframe computer at the Sears Tower in Chicago. So like it wasn't the greatest system in that time. It wasn't very high tech in 2004. I was going to say like instead of just using the fucking internet or like. What? Yeah, I don't know. In 2004, you could buy a PC. It wasn't yeah. that hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. So in 2005, Lampert used his investments to coordinate the merger between Kmart and Sears and become the CEO of the merged company called Sears Holding. Did not know they merged. Yeah. So during this time, both companies were declining and, you know, not doing very well. And he's like, you know, we can combine them and be more efficient that way. So wait, when did he officially become, did he join Sears? I didn't catch that part. In 2005, he became the CEO. Okay. I think he might've been an executive for a while and then became fully in charge in 2013. So like, yeah. So it sounds like maybe he was, he still had his investment company, but like he was on the board or something. Yeah. Um, and then oversaw the merger and was elected the CEO or whatever by the board. Or it's like he was CEO, but not president. I'm not entirely sure how all this business stuff works. Yeah. It's kind of weird. And they all have like, you know, oh, I do this, but I'm on the board of eight different companies. It's like, oh yeah, that must be a real hard fucking job if you can do it that much. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. Elon Musk. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> so at first they they had a little bit of a rebound as they were cutting costs basically laying people off and closing stores and that kind of thing but by 2007 profits had declined by 45 percent um, Oof, not a good time to be in decline <laughs> yeah so uh lampert brought on dev mukherjee i think is how you pronounce that from ibm to do a restructuring plan and then this is where things get a little bit weird um, i thought that the the massive that 45 percent decline i thought that was after he started implementing lunacy uh no that was just okay. they weren't doing very well okay. yeah so this their their lunacy was a response to that well fortunately it i assume works out very well for them. yeah <laughs> so his plan was to divide the company into more than 30 business units including product-based divisions like apparel, tools, appliances, uh, support functions like human resources or IT, and then brands like Kenmore Appliances or Craftsman Tools and Die Hard Batteries. Uh, under the new scheme, each business unit had its own president, chief marketing officer, board of directors, and most important, its own profit and loss statement. Okay, this is crazy. So, yeah, so step is... one of improving the company is increasing the quantity of board of directors 30-fold. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that well they're the job creators. They're the they're the innovators. So they just added more innovators at the top, making it very heavy at the top with innovation potential. <laughs> That's what it was. It wasn't top yeah. heavy or it was top heavy with innovation potential of brilliant rich people. So <laughs> yes. I don't see I don't see yet where the problem is gonna come from, but well, so if, if you want to switch over into libertarian Connor mode, now's the time. Cause... <laughs> okay, I might. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know if we, we should encourage that. No, I hate it. <laughs> okay, so Lampert ran Sears like a hedge fund portfolio with dozens of autonomous businesses competing for his attention and money. Very smart. Uh, an, out, an outspoken advocate for free market economics and a fan of the novelist Ayn Rand, he created the model because he expected... The invisible hand of the market to drive better results. And he would frequently push people because uh, greed is good. 
and you should be greedier. Yes. And the department, the individual, like, 30... I, I read somewhere that it eventually expanded to 40 departments. Yeah. And he encouraged those people to be greedy, even relative to the other people within the company. A move that yeah. I'm assuming we're about to learn worked out splendidly. Well, instead of that, uh, <laughs> the divisions turned against each other. Oh, you mean they started competing like he expected? Yeah, turning against <laughs> each other wouldn't be in their best interest. <laughs> 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 okay, now we've got libertarian Brandon on the show. <laughs> I'm sorry, are you just discovering that I'm often sarcastic? <laughs> so basically they were fighting over the scarce resources that remained in the declining company. Let's see, uh, uh, Seanock Dave, former executive who left in 2012, says the model created a warring tribes culture. If you were in a different business unit, we were in two competing companies, he said. Cooperation and collaboration aren't there. But they're in the same store. Like, that's just so fucking crazy to me is that they're in the same store. Oh, oh dude, I don't know. <laughs> Brian, I, if I'm about to step all over, like, what you've got prepared, I'm sorry. But some of the stories that they were telling about the weird results of competition among, like, the house brands were just wild. Yeah. I, I remember specifically reading that the Die Hard Batteries, it wasn't... Okay, so Die Hard Batteries was its own department separate of tools or automotive or whatever department that was. So if, if they wanted to sell Die Hard Batteries... They had to pay the diehard department a cut of whatever they sold, which ended up encouraging hardware to sell other brands of batteries <laughs> over diehard, which benefited yep. their own department, but was bad for the company. Holy yeah. shit. And they're like, we can get these other washing machines cheaper than Kenmore units, so we're going to sell those instead. Oh my god. <laughs> they basically stopped advocating for any of the Sears brands because so many of the brands had their own departments that were at odds with the departments that were selling them. So, you know, if appliances have to, like, pay Kenmore to sell their appliances, then where is the benefit to that for the department, not the company? What's the benefit to selling Kenmore instead of GE? None. Holy shit. I just yeah. it's so stupid like and and how do you have it so, set so that you're like not only are you just comp like having okay it's not housewares competing with tools okay that's fine you want to compete in sales that's one thing but it's like the tools department is competing with tool brands and like brands that they sell I just Bryant I don't get it <laughs> Bryant, are you going to tell him about how advertising was also competing with all of them? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a little ahead in my okay. notes, but I can skip no, over no, that. No, no, dude. Yeah, we should go back in order, but, like, just, I guess, a preview of just what is coming. Just, I love it. I love it, really. So I've got a, I've got a quote from uh, Lampart here. Uh, oh, no. Decentralized systems and structures work better than centralized ones because they produce better information over time. Uh, citation either. yeah i yeah. actually i saw that quote in several articles and i i couldn't find any reasoning why decentralized systems over time supposedly produce better information and the one example that i think lampert himself gave didn't make any sense at all yeah i just i feel like sometimes there's a dichotomy that shouldn't exist between centralized and decentralized because you're just like in a real world, there's some things that are going to be centralized, some things that are going to be decentralized, and you can almost set them up that, yeah, it's decentralized, but things, certain things, central, I don't know, it just, you need both. It's, it, it, it can't work with just like, oh, 
all centralization is bad. And so anything, everything has to be decentralized. You're like, that's psychotic. That's fucking stupid. Well, his, that's not how anything works. His idea of decentralization reads to me like a rejection of economies of scale, too. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Stupid. Beyond stupid. <laughs> but, you know, he went to Yale, so I don't know. Maybe we're going to learn that actually we're the ones who are not understanding basic economics in air quotes. I yeah. actually know a lot of people made similar criticisms to what we're making. Like it, it's, <laughs> it, didn't, it wasn't a far leap to realize that when you put people who have no experience in retail in charge of all of these retail things, that it's not great. Yeah. You know, when people like criticize Marxism as saying like, oh, you don't understand basic economics. It's like, no, I understand advanced <laughs> economics. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Lampert goes on in the quote, uh, the downside is that to some it appears messier than centralized systems. You don't say. <laughs> it appears that way. It's not, but it appears so. Don't worry about it. Wow. He also uh, hired Paul de Podesta, the Harvard-educated statistician that the book Moneyball is about. This is the guy that ran the Oakland A's to uh, you know make them more profitable or whatever. So th- this plan was unveiled in 2008 and uh, a lot of the other executives were uh, befuddled so if product divisions like tools or toys wanted to enlist the services of the it or human resources departments they had to write up formal agreements or use outside contracts. yes they had to come up with a every every interaction would be based on a contract <laughs> i love it this is so libertarian i fucking love it uh you want a cookie i need a contract <laughs> Yeah. Imagine just what their expenditures on legal retainers and shit like. <laughs> Every oh, department. You has want to send emails to? You got to upgrade your 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 subscription package to email the HR department to complain about your boss sexually harassing you. Like Jesus Christ! Come uh. on. <laughs> I love this. This is amazing. I was wondering. I was like, when are we going to get back into like how IT? And human resources could possibly be put in their own departments this way and compete because, like, <laughs> I'm confused here. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the thought of someone needing to contact HR during a technical difficulty had not occurred to me, and is a hilarious situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this reminds me of that one libertarian copy pasta where it's like it's something like I was shooting up heroin in the the front seat of my privately owned cop car when a call came in on the on the radio and I put a quarter in to, to receive the call or something like that. <laughs> Another thing worth mentioning is that, like, this is, like, the libertarian dream that he's trying to execute. Uh, I would like to remind everyone that people criticize the Soviet system for being overly bureaucratic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they always do seem to think that it's going to result in less bureaucracy. And you're just like, I don't... You actually... A lot of bureaucracy exists to cut out a lot of extra bullshit. Like, that's why they have standards. (laughs) Oh, man. Eight million little little transactions and you're like oh you need a contract to contact the it department to help you turn your fucking computer on you're like well how am i gonna do that my computer doesn't work (laughs) sucks to (laughs) suck man i don't know (laughs) so speaking of bureaucracy because there were up to 40 separate divisions some of the presidents sat on as many or five or six boards (laughs) (laughs) which would have meetings uh, once a month so so they were constantly running they're competing against different departments and they're sitting on the boards of these other departments yes oh my god i love it amazing just this guy's a genius this guy's a genius i, I don't know what else to say I, no one is this stupid this has to be a genius plan in some way because no one's this dumb well i'll have a little bit on 
on that at the end. It might have been a genius plan, but uh, Ooh, all right. we'll see. Oh, is he short-selling stocks <laughs> um, in Sears? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> oh. How do you not see a clear conflict of interest? Would, would yeah. the non-aggression pact make it so that they don't do this? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry, move on. Yeah. I just can't get over this. That's... Well, they needed perfect information so that they could act in their own best <laughs> in, uh, self-interest. Uh, if they just weren't greedy enough, I think, is the problem. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. They Continue, weren't greedy please. enough. They weren't smart enough. <laughs> so, uh, under the new model, Lampert evaluated the different divisions and calculated executive bonuses using a metric called Business Operating Profit, or BOP. Some of these divisions started to focus solely on their own profitability and stopped caring about the company as a whole. They, they started fighting over like displays and shelf space between the different divisions. And then by 2010, the company was no longer profitable. This is when Lampert hired Walmart stores uh, veteran Jim Haworth. And he saw that Kmart food and drugs were more expensive than Walmart and Target. So he met with some executives and said, hey, look, can we discount at least some groceries to be like loss leaders to bring people in the door? And they're like, uh, we'll look into it. And they were going to do a pilot program where they cut prices at a few uh, dozen Kmarts across the country to bring prices more in line with Walmarts. But... It, they said it would cost uh, $2 million to fund the project, and no one wanted to give up that money to um, to make a loss leader, to, to make the whole Because it would come out of their profit. department, not the whole store. Oh, exactly. Amazing. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see no problem with this system. Yeah. So ex- executives began to put screen protectors on their laptops so that uh, colleagues couldn't see what they were doing. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, they started buying LG washers and dryers instead of Kenmore. Craftsman started selling tools with different batteries other than Diehard. <laughs> Who has Diehard batteries now, by the way? Is that, isn't that like Walmart sells them now? I don't know. I I think all of these would, you know, a lot of these different brands were sold off. Yeah, because I see um, I see Diehard batteries still coming in all the time, yeah. and I'm like, I don't think they're coming from Sears. They're coming from Kmart. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not that. <laughs> so they, they started fighting over the space in the weekly circular, so the, the ads in the um, catalog or whatever. Uh, this culminated in the uh, 2011 Mother's Day circular in which the sporting goods unit purchased space on the cover for a product called the Dual, Doodle Bug yes. Mini Bike, which was uh, marketed at Young Boys. Nice. I love it. So for Mother's Day, you know, buy your son a <laughs> mini bike. <laughs> That uh, makes sense. Libertarians are always focusing on little boys. Oh, boy. <laughs> so Lampert was uh, cooking up different electronic ideas that he thought would fix things. So like BlackBerry app, netbooks in the stores, a massively multiplayer online game for employees, which I couldn't find out more about that. Um, okay. He also ordered the IT department to build a proprietary social network called Pebble, which he joined anonymously under the pseudonym Eli Wexler. So he's trying to do the undercover boss thing on social media. What an asshole. Exactly. I mean, he was already an asshole, but geez. <laughs> it quickly became clear that Eli Wexler was a little too engaged on Pebble. He left critical comments on other people's posts, according to more than 20 former employees. <laughs> he even got into arguments with store associates. <laughs> the CEO arguing with like the fucking store associates. Like, no, it's... Uh... Oh, this is amazing. I love I love everything about this story. I, I'm I would be fascinated to learn that the store associates were actually using the social media. Well, 
so the the bosses started tracking how often employees were pebbling yeah as they called it sounds about right one former business head says her group organized pebble conversations about miscellaneous topics just to appear they were active users (laughs) so they were basically just faking it in 2018 lampert through his company esl investments offered to buy the rest of sears for 4.6 billion in cash and stock i believe this went through but then in 2019 he stepped down as the chairman even though he was uh you know holding the stock still in january 2019 a group of sears creditors hoping to persuade a federal judge to force sears to liquidate alleged that lampert had orchestrated a multi-year and multifaceted scheme to strip away the company's assets and benefit from its decline so basically they were saying this guy is short selling <laughs> you know, or or he deliberate, deliberately ran the company into the ground so that he would be able to afford to buy it. But at that um, point, like, why would you want to buy it? Like, I just don't understand. You were already the CEO. What's the fucking point? Yeah. I just, I, again, why, who, how could you possibly understand, like, an Ayn Rand fucking the devotee? Like, <laughs> right. As of October 2021, uh, Lampert's net worth is around $2 billion. Unbelievable. He owns a uh, luxury yacht called the Fountainhead. Of course. Of course. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Can we pause while I go vomit? (laughs) (laughs) So after several years of declining sales and uh, not being profitable, the Sears Holding Company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 2018. It announced in 2019 that it had won its bankruptcy auction and had reduced number of 425 stores would remain open, including 223 Sears stores. So that's in 2019. As of today, there are 17 feline <laughs> depart- <laughs> department stores. Remaining. And the descriptions that I read of some of them were grim. Yeah, yeah, they're they're most they're pretty empty. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine they're only surviving because like malls have failed and so it's probably so cheap to rent space in a mall now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. In um 2021, the Sears Mexico considered renaming their stores to distance itself from its failing parent company. <laughs> wait, wait, which which one renamed itself? Sears of Mexico. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, they're still called that actually. They decided not to apparently, but they considered it. Um, there's actually more stores open in Mexico than in the Wait, US. Wait, so does the 17 include uh, stores in Mexico? Right. or No, okay. 17 in the U.S. Uh, and that's all I have uh, for today. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating story about the, the failures of market-based economics. Uh, just, yeah, and it's just like, it's all motivated because this guy was just a wild right-winger. He's like, oh, man, the centralized stuff is just bad it's like communism and so we need to compete (laughs) against each other within the same company we have to do competition on the microeconomic scale and this guy went to fucking yale and got an economics degree i love i love that people reject marxism so aggressively when marx himself like spent decades researching and really did a hardcore serious fact-based not that there's not room for growth but using the resources he had he like went as objectively as he could and Anne Rand wrote some books that were fiction and people were like I am sold <laughs> Marx was a moron and they were bad <laughs> books just poorly written garbage but anyway I think we have to wrap up because we are on a bit of a time crunch so uh, you know hey if you like us you know, give us a rating or whatever and uh, follow our social media stuff 
because we share memes and all that. So, I don't know. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah. All right, everyone. Bye. Take it easy. <laughs>